Hi, my name's Pippa and welcome to Get You Back Straight. It's a podcast for young people who want to know more about the COVID-19 vaccine uh, without listening to all those horror stories you hear everywhere else. (laughs) So instead, we'll be putting your questions to our very own vaccine doctor. Hello. Hi Pippa, thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm James Crick, I'm a, I'm a public health doctor and I'm a GP as well. So I've got a bit of knowledge about quite a lot of this stuff. So I think it's really important that we get these messages out in a way that is easy for people to understand that, that doesn't rely on them bouncing around social media and, and, and the myths and misinformation that exists out there. Yeah, a little bit like Chinese whispers at the minute with the COVID vaccine, isn't it? It is, yeah, absolutely. So one person says one thing and by the end of it, you're going an extra round from it. <laughs> That's not what I've heard recently, but it's not far off some of the stuff that I've heard. <laughs> okay, so for this episode of Get Your Vax Straight, we're going to be talking about more of the risks and like kind of the safeties and dangers around the vaccine. So one of the first questions I wanted to ask you was if the older population and those that are high risk have been offered the vaccine... Why is it so important for the younger and healthy people to have it? So, I, I mean, I think yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. It's not, it, it is one that we keep hearing. We know that older people are most affected, but that doesn't mean that the younger people are immune. Uh, and it doesn't mean that younger people won't end up in hospital. The point of rolling the vaccine programme out primarily, so the main reason um, is to make sure that everybody's protected and as protected as they can be by having two doses. But we do know that the vaccine also protects and, and prevents spread a little bit. The amount it protects spread is, is, is we're gaining that knowledge as, as time goes on, but it certainly seems to reduce the risk of spreading from person to person. But the main reason is to protect yourself as an individual. So whilst the, the chance of you getting really sick as a young person from COVID is small, there is still a very real risk. And so the vaccine itself reduces that risk even further, stops people ending up in hospital, and hopefully it won't ever happen. But that, you know, there may be a small number of people who, who get really very sick with COVID and we want to avoid that if at all possible. So it's, it's to protect yourself and it's to protect those around you. So it's kind of a, a, a kind of two-pronged approach, but mainly it's about protecting yourself at this point. Yeah, completely understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think people worry about it. I think they assume that because we're young, we're, we're, we're fit, we're healthy, so we're going to be okay. Um, and, and the vast majority of people are. Uh, but for a small number, it's not great, and they do get sick. And we want to, we want to avoid that if we can. And we've got a really good way of avoiding people getting sick. And you know, everything that we do in public health is about trying to help people make um, healthier choices, better choices, help people, give them different options and opportunities. And, and the vaccine's a great example of, of, of something that we can do that works, that's effective, that's safe, and that, that, that stops you getting sick. Yeah, um, I got COVID in March and I've got asthma, but it's very, very mild. It's only like sport induced. I was in A&E with, when I had COVID. It's just, yeah. It hits you like you don't even think. I think that's a really powerful message that you, you've got an experience there. And I think using, you know, using this forum to, to kind of share that message is, is brilliant. Because, it, you know, like I say, most young people generally feel fairly invincible. I know I'm not a young person anymore, but when I was... I couldn't imagine myself at this age because I, you know, I felt I could take on the world, um, and and I think that you know, there's a, a psychological bit to all that, that that we need to support people that this isn't this isn't about weakness, this isn't about people not being hard enough to fight COVID off. It's just actually it's just a nasty virus, it's a really awful disease, um, and if you get it, you'll probably be okay, but some people will get quite sick. So if we can prevent that, that's brilliant. I have heard though a lot of people are worried about how quickly the vaccine's been developed. I was wondering if you could shed a little bit of light on that. Yeah, I mean, this this vaccine has been turned around incredibly quickly. I think what that illustrates is just how 
how impressive the scientific community can work and mobilise if you don't have to apply for funding after every single phase. So normally you have to complete the first phase of a trial, then write it up, then often apply for additional funding, then you start the second phase of your trial, then you write it up, get it published, apply for additional... And, and so you've got this long period of time from actually designing the drug to, or in this case a vaccine, to actually getting it into people, um, in, in, into common use. The way the vaccine's been developed, or the vaccines, because obviously there's, mu there's multiple vaccines around the world, the way the vaccines have been developed, they've been allowed to, as soon as they've got enough data for each of those phases, start writing it up and start moving on to the next phase. But also, they're not having to apply for massive amounts of funding for this, because this is something that the whole world wants. I guess this illustrates where there are no barriers, this is how quickly stuff can get developed. I'm really impressed at how quickly they've turned the vaccine around. Yeah, it is incredible. And I don't know how accurate it is, but somebody had suggested that I think prior to this, it was about four years from design to deployment of a vaccine. Now, whether that's true or not, it kind of feels like it's not far off to, to be able to do this in about 12 months or less than 12 months. So, you know, it's it's a massive turnaround. So like I say, for me, this, is, this just illustrates how impressive um, the scientific community can be when the things that restrict them, when the barriers that stand in front of them are removed and they're, they're just allowed to do what they love to do how advanced scientific technology is nowadays as well yeah but i do understand i have heard people ask me as a gp people ask me that as well you know how, how can we trust this it's so quick the evidence is being collected and analyzed on a daily basis in a way that we've not done certainly not done as openly and publicly as we are now um, and, and so we're learning about this on a daily basis but we knew when it was released it was safe and effective so it's not that we're learning that it's safe and effective what we're learning is, is more about the the extras the kind of mild side effects or or in, in case of the AstraZeneca and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about it but earlier in the year the, the shift from using the AstraZeneca product in in everybody to only using it in the over 40s because actually under 40 there's an increased there seems to be an increased risk of a very rare condition but still it's an increased risk but i suspect we'll probably come on to talk about that we're still learning but the fact that it's turned around so quickly was science just works going off from that is it true that technically the vaccine is a human trial until 2023 that's that's not quite how i'd necessarily describe it i think that the vaccine is two ways of looking at any any drug any vaccine and we'll use the vaccine as an example. We'll keep trying, I'll try and keep using the term vaccine rather than drug. Using the vaccine, we go through the approvals process. The vaccine is designed, it's developed, it's tested for safety. Now, in, in research terms, we talk about efficacy as opposed to effectiveness. Efficacy is about how good it is at doing whatever it's supposed to do in the research population. So the research group, the, the group that it's studied in. And most of those populations, those research groups, they kind of exclude the very young. They often exclude the very old. They often don't include people who have long-term conditions. So, you know, long-term uh, asthma or uh, lung or heart problems. And so what you've got is a is a distilled version of, of the real world in, in that research group. So that's about efficacy, so how good it is in that research population. Now that research group may look very similar to the population of Hull, but it may not. Effectiveness is kind of taking that drug and putting it in the real world, or put, in this case, taking the vaccine and putting it in the real world. So I don't think we're in a, I don't think we're in a human trial. What we're doing is we're rolling out a effectively a large-scale vaccination program in a population that probably the last time we did anything like this was the 1960s with the polio vaccine, which interestingly happened in Hull as well. So yeah, that, that's probably the last time we've done something quite on this scale in this short space of time. I think people can interpret it as this is just a human trial. It's not. This is this is about how we roll the vaccine out in the real world in a real population. We are always still learning about it because the research group may not have included old people, older people, it may not have included children, it may not have included people with 
long-term heart problems, for example, in which case we're now learning about how the vaccine works in those groups. So it's not quite the same as a, as a human trial. It's a consequence of rolling something out this big, this quickly. So um, with having the COVID jab, what is the percentage of people that end up in hospital even after having both of the vaccines? Yeah, so so the vaccine is is not 100% effective. So if you take 100 people and give them all the vaccine and then expose them all to COVID or to coronavirus, some of them, and if we use the Pfizer vaccine as an example, because that's the vaccine that will be used in younger adults um, and children over the age of 12 who have some very specific conditions, that's probably about 95% effective. So if you took 100 people and vaccinated them all, five of them are still going to get... And if you remember, the point of the vaccine is to reduce the chance of getting severe COVID so severe disease requiring you to be admitted to hospital or in the worst situation, I guess, you know, sadly dying. That's why we have, that's why the vaccine has been developed. About 5% of people, so five in that hundred will still potentially get severe disease, but it may not be as severe as it would have been had they not had the vaccine. So, so a proportion, some people will end up in hospital and, and the more people we get vaccinated. So when everybody in the country is vaccinated, the only people being admitted to hospital with COVID are people who have been vaccinated. Does that make sense? More of those people who are in hospital are more likely to have been vaccinated. So it's, it, the, the honest answer is, at this point, we're still very much learning about what that proportion is, what that number of people is. But it's much smaller than the unvaccinated group. And it, uh, the, the younger you get, the less likely it is as well, which is brilliant because it, it's protecting people. So the vaccine doesn't give you immunity from COVID, but it stops you getting the more severe symptoms that could end you up in hospital. So, yeah, so the, 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 vac- the vaccine reduces the chance of you developing severe COVID. I'd love for it to surround you in a magic force field and stop you getting the virus at all, but it can't. Um, so the virus will still attach to your nose and your eyes, but the vaccine helps your body to fight it off before it ever becomes a severe disease um, and seems to reduce the risk of you spreading it as well. How much it stops you spreading it is, I think, is still very much being learnt about, but because that wasn't what they were set out, what they originally set out to achieve. I suppose you can't really know if there's so much of a difference between vaccine, vaccinated and unvaccinated at the moment as well. Yeah, although again, that number is dropping because people are taking up the offer. You know, the, the point that we're having this conversation is because, for whatever reason, I think there's a lot of mistrust and, and myths and uh, concern amongst young people. And and you, our young people are the people who are going to be out and about and hopefully getting their lives back. So we need to make sure that we protect them as best we can. So um, you were mentioning earlier something about younger people aren't getting vaccinated. So how come if you're under 18 you don't need the Covid vaccine but we still get jabbed for other things? The vaccine programme has been updated, guidance has been updated just today and that's extended the age group down to 12 years old for children with very specific health conditions or or their household contacts. So situations where they, individuals might have severe problems with the nervous system or uh, learning, a severe learning disability or problems with their immune system so they can't fight infection. So that's been extended down to the age of 12. But I think your, your, your question is probably much broader than that. And it's, it's, it's about, well, we've got these children's vaccination programmes and everybody has to have those. And yet we don't have to have this one. And part of that, I think, is if you remember, I talked about how the researches don't often include young children, don't include older adults, blah, 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 blah. The, the severity of COVID in very young children is, is thankfully very mild, but you know, I suspect there'll be sadly one or two who have got very sick with it. Because of our understanding of the severity of this, how, how bad it is, at this point, it's, it wouldn't be worth vaccinating that whole population right now. However, this year, the flu vaccination programme has been extended further. So now 
think all school age kids, all school age children will be offered the flu vaccine. So whilst they don't need the COVID vaccine, we're, we're, we're still, we are extending other vaccines to make sure that we're providing protection to, to those school age children. Us having this conversation today, this is where we stand. The beauty of the science here is that when the evidence changes, when the science changes, we change the approach. We've seen that throughout the vaccination programme where we started vaccinating about four weeks apart. We moved, we extended it out to 12 weeks. And then when we realised that you've got your best immune response, your, your best protection by vaccinating at eight, the second dose at eight weeks, it moved to eight weeks. So you know, at the moment, the suggestion is we don't need to vaccinate very young children and children under the age of 12. Um, but that might change in the future. So I, I, I kind of reserve the right to be to say I got it wrong today. Well, I suppose if you're saying that they've only just extended the flu vaccine and that's been around for God knows how long, yeah, this vaccine's hardly been around. It's still learning about how it works and affects different people, yeah. really, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. So, one last question for you, Dr James. I was just wondering, why has the flu jab never been promoted to younger, healthy people before? So, the, the National Flu Programme runs from about September to kind of February, March time. And there's some very specific groups within that that get offered the flu jab. So, last year, it was extended so that everybody over the age of 50 got offered the flu vaccine. And everybody over the age of 16 who had one of a number of health conditions. There's another population that are eligible for the flu vaccine, which is school, school aged children. Children from uh, four up to, I think last year, it was 12. So they included year seven, uh, are also offered the flu vaccination through the school vaccination programme. And then there's a third group, which is basically six months up to four years, which can access through their GP. This year, partly because of what we've seen in the last 12 months, last year we didn't have much flu circulating at all. Now, there are a variety of possible explanations for that. It could be that we, we had a very good flu vaccination programme, which we did. More people last year took up the offer than they had done previously. But also, people were from a public health point of view, practicing good respiratory hygiene, which sounds like a really fancy way of saying essentially they were sneezing into tissues, chucking the tissue in the bin and washing their hands, walking around wearing face coverings and maintaining social distance. So, you know, reducing the risk of spread of respiratory disease, of, 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 of viral coughs and colds, which is brilliant and it shows that it can be done. Um, so last year we had very little flu. This year they've extended the flu programme to include all secondary school age children, I think. So everybody should be covered up to about, I think, six... 16 to 18, I think, and then anybody who has a risk factor up to 50, and then everybody over the age of 50. Partly because very young children don't always practice good respiratory hygiene. They don't always wash their hands and sneeze into a tissue. Um, but some of them do. Um, I'd love to say mine did. Not always. Um, but they are at risk of, of, of getting sick with it and spreading it. And I guess if we can reduce the amount of children and young people who are coughing and spluttering in the winter period from flu, then if children are coughing and spluttering in the winter period, it's more likely to be COVID, if that's still circulating, and I suspect it will be. Um, so there's something about protecting the kids, as children and young people, as best we can from stuff that we can protect them from. And we do know that that's effective. We do know that that's worth doing. Um, and obviously we'll have 12 to, 16, 12 to 18 year olds who are at risk and 18 year olds plus who are, who are vaccinated against COVID. So it, everything's changing again. Evidence and science is shaping the direction that we're going and, and shaping the, the national policy. And from a public health point of view, I think that's probably the right thing to do. Right. Uh, thank you, James. Uh, that's all the questions I've got for this episode. Okay, um, cool. I really hope it's helped everyone listening just kind of like clear up some 
myths and yeah. stuff we've got. So I'd encourage everybody to take up any offer of vaccination that they can, you know, especially around COVID. But but if there are other vaccines that they may have missed as kids or young people that you know make contact with your practice, they may well be able to help you make sure you're fully fully vaccinated. So I think you know this is about COVID, but I'll shamelessly take the opportunity to suggest that you know if, if you think you've missed something, just check with your practice, um, either online or, or by phone. Amazing. So thank you for joining us for Get You Back Straight. Uh, we'll be back in the next episode and we're going to be talking more about side effects and trying to get all your questions answered, really. So yeah, we'll see you soon. Bye.